was taught in the classroom that at the judgment seat of Christ, it is a place of rewards. And the Bema seat is a reward seat. But when I heard Dr. Ketchum preach that message, it was totally different, and I'll tell you what it did. It stirred a desire in my heart to do an in-depth study of the judgment seat of Christ. And in my study of the judgment seat of Christ, I found this. Are you listening? This is the only generation that has taken a light view of the judgment seat of Christ. And I'll tell you, when I heard that message and did a study on the judgment seat of Christ, it transformed my life. And every time I preach this message, I pray, dear God, may somebody be affected like I was affected in 1966 hearing that message, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I want to extract three words from our text and partially interpret the judgment seat of Christ. Number one, that will be a day of revealing. Notice, please, verse 13. It says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now look this way. There is a word connected with the judgment seat of Christ that means this. We shall be revealed as we really are. Think of that. Now, if you know me tonight, you know me by reputation. But when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, I shall be revealed as I really am. What a thought. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing that terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, we hear a lot about the good being revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. I wonder why we don't hear about the bad being revealed. Both the bad and the good will be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. Colossians 3, 23 through 25. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto man. Here's the one side. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Here's the other side. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, for there is no respect of person. Did you get that, folks? Not only will the good be revealed, the bad will be revealed. Not only will the right be revealed, but the wrong will be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come get it, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. So at the judgment seat of Christ, the hidden things of darkness will be revealed. Think of it. Now, we have heard preachers preach on 1 Corinthians 3 and verse, uh, or 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 11 this, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And here's the way we generally hear that preach. 
the terror of the Lord means that people are dying and going to hell. And therefore, we've got to go out and persuade them. We've got to win them. That's not the context of 2 Corinthians 5. You know what the context of 2 Corinthians 5 is? I believe there was in the heart of the Apostle Paul a holy dread and a holy fear for that day when he would stand at the judgment seat of Christ and be revealed as he really was. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, he said, Now I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I preach others, I myself may be a castaway or disapprove. And I believe that there was in the heart of the Apostle Paul a holy dread and a holy fear for that day when he would stand and be revealed as he really was. A lady came to me one night and she said, Brother Comfort, I'm not afraid to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I said, ma'am, that's a height of presumption. The Apostle Paul could not say that. Ron Comfort cannot say that. Romans 14, 10 through 12, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. As I live, saith the Lord, ever knee shall bow to me, and ever tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Do you know what the word account means? It means the word narrative. You see, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, I will tell the Lord Jesus what I did and why I did it as a child of God. I'm going to tell him the places I let my feet go. I'm going to tell him the things I let my eyes look upon. I'm going to tell him my motives, my desires. I will tell him what I did and why I did it as a child of God. Now listen carefully. There are two days in the Bible that are sometimes equated, but I don't believe they're the same. First of all, in the Old Testament, you have what is called the day of the Lord. And that is in relation to Israel and the judgments of God upon the earth after the rapture of the church. All right, but in the New Testament, you have the day of Christ. That's totally different. That is in relationship to those of us who are saved and when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And there are several passages that are heart-searching concerning the day of Christ. For instance, 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8, So that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto him that ye may be blameless in the day of Christ. You know what that connotates? That connotates I may be found with blame at the judgment seat of Christ. Again, Philippians 1 and verse 10, that she may approve of the things that are excellent, that she may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. You know what that connotates? That connotates that I may be found insincere and with offense at the judgment seat of Christ. The average Christian is satisfied with mediocrity. I want to say, if you're satisfied with mediocrity, when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be found with offense. Again, Philippians 2.16, holding forth the word of life, 
that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You see, what Paul is saying is, I've got to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and I don't want to be found with offense. I don't want to be ashamed before him at his coming. If he came tonight, folks, would you be ashamed before him at his coming? Now, somebody says, now, Brother Comfort, are you telling me that there is going to be punishment at the judgment seat of Christ? You know how I answer that? What do you mean by punishment? Now, most of us think of punishment as corporal punishment, doing something that hurts the body. But let me remind you, there are other types of punishment. Now, I have three daughters. They are the joy of my life. And uh, all three of my daughters are different personality-wise. Isn't that a disproof of evolution? If evolution were a fact, everybody would be a carbon copy of everybody else. But when God made you, He threw away the pattern. There are not two of you alike on earth. Now, thank God for that in many instances. But anyway, because my daughters were not the same personality-wise, I may not have disciplined them the same way. My oldest daughter, Rhonda, there is nothing in the world that Rhonda hated worse than a spanking. When I would mention the word spank, she would go into dry heaves and convulsions. Uh, I remember I read her an article, Pastor, uh, in the newspaper about a North Carolina judge who sentenced two juvenile delinquents to their choice of sentence. He said, boys, you can either get a spanking by your daddy or else you can spend 10 days and 10 nights in jail. Obviously, they chose to get a spanking by their daddy. When I read that to Rhonda, she said, Daddy, I'd rather spend 10 days and 10 nights in jail. Now, my middle daughter, Becky, is a bookworm ultimate. All of my girls loved to read. When they were growing up, they never had television. So they learned to play instruments and they learned to communicate and they all loved to read. But nobody liked Becky. Becky would read an average of 10 books a week. My stars. For 15 years I was unsaved. I never read one book through. When I was given an assignment in class to read something, I'd read the first chapter and the last chapter and make a book report on it. But Becky would read 10 books a week. When we would drive our trailer into a town like this, the first thing Becky wanted to know, where is the library? I remember going by the couch one day in the RV, and she was reading a book I had seen her read several times. And I said, Becky... I notice you read the same books over and over again. Why do you do that? She said, Daddy, I just love to read. I said, well, what book have you read more than any other book? She said, well, I guess Little Women, Little Women. I said, how many times have you read Little Women? She said, well, about 20 times. My stars are sporting news, yes, but little women, no. I said, now, honey, if you had a choice between daddy taking away your books from you for a week or you're getting a spanking, 
would you choose? She said, Daddy, I'd choose a spanking. It'd be all over with. The worst thing you could do to me is take away my books for a week. Now, my youngest daughter, Robin, loved her dollies. And Brother Wes, it has been amazing to me how college girls still love their dollies. Last semester, I saw a girl walking across campus with a in her arms going to class. Uh, when we started Ambassador, our rooms were very small, the uh, dormitory rooms. And one girl brought 13 stuffed animals with her to school. College. Her roommate got out of the top bunk, twisted her ankle on one of those stuffed animals, so we had to make a rule. No girl, nor boy, could bring more than three stuffed animals with them to college. My wife made Robin a doll for her fifth birthday that was exactly as tall as Robin, Amanda. And the day she unveiled that incredible hulk, I looked at that and I said, No, honey, we don't have room for another child in this trailer. She thought that I had known about that, but I didn't know until she unveiled that incredible hulk, the size of that doll. That doll was so big that Robin dressed Amanda in her clothing. Have you ever seen a bunk bed in an RV? Not much wider than the chair upon which you're sitting. And Robin knew there wasn't room for Amanda and her in that bed at night. But before she went to sleep, she had to have Amanda snuggled up close to her. Now, five minutes after Robin was asleep, Amanda was kicked off the top bunk and spent the night in the floor. But one night, I went by her bunk, and I saw her all snuggled up to Amanda. And I said, sweetheart, you love Amanda, don't you? She said, oh, yes. I love Amanda. I said, well, honey, let me ask you a question. If you had a choice between getting a spanking or Daddy taking Amanda away from you for a week, what would you choose? Honestly, she grabbed Amanda and she said, Oh, no, Daddy, not Amanda. And the worst thing I could have done was to take Amanda away from her for a week. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what am I saying? When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we will be rewarded or we will be found with blame. Now, I'm going to make a statement that may shock you. I believe that for a Christian, sin will be confessed. Now, you've got a choice as to when you want to confess it. God's option is what I preach in Sunday school, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God's design is, why don't you deal with sin now? You don't have to be out of fellowship one moment of the day. You can walk in fellowship when sin gets in your life, judge it. But here's a Christian who goes through life, and he never deals with sin in his life. I believe that when he stands at the judgment seat of Christ, those things which have offended the holiness of God will come to his mind 
as he gives his narrative. Now, do you remember when Jesus came out of the judgment hall after Peter had denied Jesus three times? All right, let me ask you a question. What did Jesus do to Peter? Did he take the leaded whip, the cat of nine tails, and beat him 13 times on the right side, 13 times in the center, 13 times on the left side? Did he do that? No. All he did was cast an accusing glance in the direction of Peter. What did Peter do? He went out and he wept bitterly. I believe that if Peter were here tonight and we'd call him up to the platform, we'd say, Peter, if you had a choice of either the accusing glance of the Son of God or the cat of nine tails, 39 stripes, what would you choose? He'd say, oh, a hundred times over, the cat of nine tails. Now, we have never seen Jesus Christ as he is. We see him today with the eye of faith. But when we stand before him, we're going to see him in all of his holiness, in all of his glory, and those things that have been a part of our life that offended his holiness will come to our mind as we give our narrative. Think of it. Number one, it's going to be a day of revealing. All right, go back to 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 14, number two. It will be a day of rewarding for some. Verse 14, if any man's work abide which he built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. A day of rewarding for some. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. 2 John and verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Now folks, the reward is not determined by how I start the race. The reward is determined by how I end the race. I tell our preacher boys this. When somebody gives you a compliment, let it go in one ear and out the other. Your character is revealed by how you respond to compliment and to criticism. Can I repeat that? Your character is revealed by how you respond to compliment or criticism. But there is a compliment that I relish, and it's this. And I've had it this week. I've had people come to me and say, Brother Comfort, I've heard you preach 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and you haven't changed. And I've got a stock answer for that. You know what I say, Brother Wes? I'm too close to the finish line now to change. And I'm not looking at what I did yesterday. The reward's not determined by what I did yesterday. It's determined by what I do today and what I do at the end of my life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's possible for me to be in this thing 57 years, drop out on God, and lose the reward of 57 years of serving God. 
Revelation 22 and verse 12, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Matthew 10 and verse 42, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall give to drink a cup of cold water only in the name of the disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Now here's the bottom line, Ephesians 6 and verse 8. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive the Lord. Do you know we've gotten the idea that only preachers are going to be rewarded? I will tell you this. I meet laymen across this country who make me bow my head in shame. And some of the laymen I meet, I say, Lord, I'm not even worthy to tie their shoelaces. Now, how many of you men had a part when this building was going up and doing something on the building? Raise your hand. All right, several of you did. You know what? God's going to reward you for that. Now, there are a lot of people around our churches that do things that nobody knows about. I stay in a lot of prophets' chambers. And you know, I never stay in a prophet's chamber, but what I think this, some lady has come in here, she's changed the sheets, she's cleaned up the apartment, she's scoured the bathroom so I could have a week to stay in this apartment. And most of the time, nobody in the church knows who did it, but God knows who did it, and God will amply reward them. Now, I'm going to go like a house of fire. There are five crowns in the Bible mentioned by name. Now, I'm going to say, like Elizabeth Taylor said to her eighth husband, John Warner, I don't want to keep you long. So I'm going to go like a house of fire. Five crowns in the Bible mentioned by name. All right, number one, 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27, there's the incorruptible crown. And that's reserved for everybody who's laying up treasures in heaven and not on earth. All right, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8, there's the crown of righteousness, and that's for all those who live in the expectation of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Number 3, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19, there is the crown of rejoicing, or the soul winner's crown. Let me ask you a question. Can you remember the last time you took your Bible and you gave an unsaved person the plan of salvation? Can you remember that? If you can't remember that, you're not a candidate for the crown of rejoicing. All right, Revelation 2 and verse 10, James 1 and verse 12, there is the crown of life, and that is reserved for everybody who's willing to lay down his life for the cause of Christ. Someone said, Brother Comfort, I don't know whether I'd be willing to die for him. Here's the good news. He's not asking you to die for him. He's asking you to live for him. If you're willing to live for him, when it comes time to die, and he'll give you dying grace. Now, folks, if you're simply a Sunday morning Christian who tip your hat to God one hour on Sunday morning, you're not a candidate for that crown of life. Now, number five, 1 Peter 5 and verse 4, there is the good shepherd's crown. Do you know that's reserved for the pastors who faithfully feed the flock of God? Now, I could get on a soapbox about this, but I tell my preacher boys at Ambassador this, if God has called you to pastor, stay home and tend the flock. Now, that's not talking about a vacation. Every pastor ought to have vacation. Every pastor ought to have a day off when he spends it with his wife and family. 
But I'm talking about when you get an operation, that pastor's there to pray with you and encourage you as you go in the operating room. I'm talking about when you lose a loved one by means of death, that pastor is there to read the Scripture and pray with you and encourage you. And it bothers me, folks, when men who claim to be pastors and we lift them up as superheroes, as fundamentalists who preach on Sunday and they're gone all week long. As far as I'm concerned, that is not a pastor. That is a hireling. So every pastor that is faithful in shepherding the flock, he will one day get rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen carefully. What are we going to do with those crowns? What are we going to do with those crowns? Are we going to stack them up on top of our head and go all over heaven bragging about how many crowns we've won? No, take your Bible and turn to Revelation 4. Keep your finger here in 1 Corinthians 3. Every time I read this, I thrill. What are we going to do with those five crowns? All right, Revelation 4 and verse 10. Notice, please. It says, And the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Isn't that beautiful? If Jesus gives me a crown, I'll just lay it right back at his nail-pierced feet. If he came tonight, would you have any crowns to lay before the feet of Jesus Christ? The poet said, Must I go an empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer meet, not one soul with which to greet him, lay no trophy at his feet. If he came tonight, would you have any crowns to lay before his feet? All right, in closing, go back to 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 15. Number one, it'll be a day of revealing. Number two, it'll be a day of rewarding for some. And number three, it will be a day of remorse for some. Notice verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire, a day of remorse for some. Now, listen carefully. The judgment seat of Christ takes place in heaven, or, or it is before we get into heaven. You see, there is the rapture. We're standing immediately at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there are two ways that you can enter heaven. Number one, 1 John 2, 28. And now little children abide in him that when he may appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So you can enter heaven ashamed. All right, on the other hand, 2 Peter 1 and verse 11. You can have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My question to you tonight is, how do you want to enter heaven? How do you want to enter heaven? Now, I used to interpret this suffer loss simply this. If I get a reward, fine. If I don't get a reward, no big deal. But I believe the gravity of those words are much more deeper than that. 
All right, there are three things in closing why there will be remorse at the judgment seat of Christ. Number one, because of misused time. Did you get that? Misused time. Ephesians 5 and verse 14. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 29. Now this I say, brethren, the time is short. Romans 14, verses 21 and 22. And that knowing the time, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Redeeming the time. There's a tremendous passage in Psalm chapter 90 about time. And it talks about the person who misuses his time is called a fool. The person who uses his time rightly is called wise. Which are you? All right, Psalm 90 and verse 10. It says, the days of our years are threescore and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So I read about a preacher that came into that passage, and he said, Now according to Psalm 90 and verse 10, God only promises man 70 years. And then he went down to Psalm 90 and verse 12, and it says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So he said, Now if I'm wise, what I ought to do is multiply 70 times 365. And he came out with a figure of 25,550 days. He said, now, if I'm wise, what I ought to do is take the days that I've already lived and uh, subtract them from 25,550. And he came out with the amount of days he had left until his 70th birthday. You know what he did? He put those days on a calendar, and he put it on his desk. Every day he would come to his office, he'd remove one page, one day less, one day less. Are you listening? The average young person spends seven and a half hours in social networking a day. I would hate to stand before God and say, God, one half of my waking hours were wasted, wasted on social networking. And by the way, parent, you are responsible for that. You've got to give your children some parameters and say, this is how much you're going to use social networking, and this is how much you're not going to use social networking. M misuse time. Uh, my daddy died at the age of 77. My grandfather died at the age of 77. My stepmother died at the age of 77. My brother called me on his 17th, 75th birthday, and he said, Ronnie, he said, I think I'm going to live to be 100. Two years later, at the age of 77, my brother died of bone cancer. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I've lived three years beyond that, and I don't have much time. I stood at the pinnacle of the temple 10 years ago in Jerusalem, and I looked across the Kidron Valley, and there's the largest Jewish cemetery in the world, the Mount of Olives. When Jesus said, Why did sepulchers full of dead men's bones, here's what he meant. 
A patriarch would die. They'd cut a hole in the ground. They'd put his bones in that hole. His children would die. They'd put their bones in that hole. The grandchildren would die. They'd put their bones in that hole. And many of those graves have generation of people on their bones there. And as I stood there looking across at that uh, large cemetery, you know what God spoke to my heart about? He impressed Ron Comfort, one day you will only be a statistic. That's all you're going to be. Hey, we get so proud of our accomplishments and our personalities and our appearance, but I'll tell you something. Two weeks after you and I are put in the ground, nobody is going to miss us but our immediate family. That's the only one. And God impressed me as I looked at that cemetery. Ron Comfort, the only thing that is important in your life is what you leave to the next generation spiritually. That's all that's important. Remorse, why? Misuse time number two. Misplaced treasures. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and dust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me ask you, ladies and gentlemen, what does money mean to you? If money is anything more than a vehicle for doing the will of God, your treasures are on earth. They are not in heaven. You know what I found? 12% of Bible-believing Christians leave nothing to ministries when they die. My wife and I were out in our car a few weeks ago, and I said, Honey, I'll tell you what God's laid on my heart. I said, I don't know whether you're going to be in agreement with this or not. But I said, I don't want to leave much around to relatives who will squander God's money. And I said, all we need to do is give them just a minimal amount and give most of what we leave behind to ministry so that when we're in the glory, we can still be in clipping coupons from God's money. Where are your treasures tonight? One of the things that thrills me, and these two men can tell you this, at Ambassador, we have taught kids to be givers. I say, don't go through life like this. The average person goes through life being a taker. I said the way to peace and happiness is go through life like this. Be a giver. That's where the joy is. I remember in October of 1996, I came into my office one morning and my wife greeted me with this. She said, honey, she said, I just got a call from the First National Bank. And she said, before the day is over, we've got to have $8,000 for withholding tax into the First National Bank. I said, honey, where are we going to get $8,000? I said, we've only got about $1,000 in the school's bank account. And so I went into my office praying, God, how are you going to do this? $8,000. So there was a letter on my desk from one of our married students, Jeff Lanier. Do you remember Jeff? Do you remember Jeff Lanier, Wes? Jeff Lanier was a town student who lived an hour away in Spartanburg, South Carolina. He had two children. He worked a 40-hour-a-week job. He would come every day to class as a married man. And so when I opened the letter, it said, Dear Brother Comfort, 
Three years ago, my wife and I began to pray that God would supply $10,000 for us to give to Ambassador Baptist College as a token of appreciation for what the college has done for our family. He said three years ago, I had a tremendous wreck. My medical expenses were over $10,000. And he said, because of a technicality, the insurance company would not honor that. So our church, Westgate Baptist Church, began to pray, and God brought in money from all over America, people we didn't even know. He said every penny of that $10,000 medical expense was paid because of gifts of people who sent in that money as an answer to prayer. He said, my wife and I totally forgot about it. But last week, we got a check from the insurance company for $10,000. He said, my wife and I didn't even discuss it. We just prayed about it. And we both came to the conclusion that this was the answer to prayer that we have been praying for three years. He said, Brother Comfort, I'm sending the check to Ambassador Baptist College for $10,000 because of what the school has done in our life. I took that check and that letter and I began to weep. And I said, honey, honey, come in here. She said, what's wrong? Why are you weeping? I said, read this letter. She read the letter and she began to weep. And she said, darling, the dedication of many of our students puts us to shame. And that's the truth. That's the truth. You know, uh, Jeff Lanier told me that before he came to Ambassador, he made forty-five to $50,000 a year, and he gave $4,500 to $5,000 a year to God as a tithe. He said, Brother Comfort, last year I made $10,000. He said, God enabled my family to give $30,000 to the work of God. You tell that to an unsaved banker and it will blow his mind, folks. But I will tell you, Jeff Lanier's treasures are in heaven. Where are yours tonight? Where are yours? Number one, misuse time. Number two, misplaced treasures. And number three, misappropriated talents. You know, the first rule of, of stewardship in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. Somebody said, I've got a house. No, you don't. It belongs to God. You say, I've got a car. No, you don't. It belongs to God. You say, I've got children. No, you don't. They belong to God. And you know what I'm concerned about? Last week, Alton Beale, the president of Ambassador Now, preached at a Christian high school graduation 19 graduates, not one of them going to a Christian college and training to serve the Lord. Think of it. Three years ago, Dwight Smith, Ron Comfort, and Alton Beale preached at three Christian high school graduations. Out of those three graduations, one person was going to a Christian school to train to serve God. You know what breaks my heart, fellas? I get down on my knees on Sunday and I pray for pastors. I let the first letter of each day be a guide as whom I should pray for that day. As Sunday, I pray for shepherds. Three-fourths of the preachers that I'm with in the next five years are going to retire 
Where are the replacements coming from? Where are the replacements coming from? Before we close this meeting tonight, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to stand and promise God that you will pray that your children will surrender for the will of God in their life. A young lady came to Dwight Smith at a camp, and she said, Brother Smith, she said, when I was 13 years old, I surrendered for the mission field, and I went home, and I told my mother, and she said, don't ever say that. She said, you will not go to the mission field. She said, you know what, Brother Dwight? I'm 32 years old, and I've been fighting the call of God on my life because Mother said, don't go to the mission field. She said, tonight at 32 years of age, I'm throwing up the white flag of surrender. Ladies and gentlemen, if you stood at the judgment seat of Christ, would you be ashamed or would you have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Now I want to ask you this. As Laura plays, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. How many of you can say, Brother Comfort, if I know my heart, I'm right with God. I'm ready to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. If I know my heart, I'm not only saved, but I'm ready to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. If you can honestly say that, slip up your hand, please. All right, a few. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Has God spoken to your heart tonight? How many of you would say, Brother Comfort, if I stood before the Lord tonight, I'd be ashamed. I'd have no crowns to lay before His feet. Would you pray for me? I'm saved but I'm not ready to stand before the Lord. Would you pray for me? Slip up your hand, please, right now. God bless you. God bless you all over, all over. God bless you. All right, one more thing, and then we'll pray. How many of you parents and grandparents would say, I am going to start praying, or I've been praying, that God would cause my children to surrender for the will of God for their life. God being my helper, I'm going to either start praying or I've been praying that my children or my grandchildren will surrender their lives for the will of God. If you would say that as a parent and a grandparent, would you stand to your feet please right now? God bless you. God bless you, Pastor. This is the beginning. This is the beginning. God bless your heart. That's wonderful. Father, I pray for these who are standing right now. We've never had a time in our ministry in 57 years when we have been more burdened about young people from Christian moms and dads being willing to give their lives to serve you I pray for some of these young people that are here tonight. May before this week is over, may some of these prayers be answered. When those young people will say, God, here's my life, and I'm going to give it to you, and I want your will over my own will. In Jesus' name. 
Everybody's standing. We're going to sing some. Uh, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Maybe there's a young person in here tonight who'd say, in view of the judgment seat of Christ, I want to surrender my life for the will of God. Pastor will be here at the front. If you want to do that tonight, preacher, I'm giving my life to do the will of God. Slip out of your place right now as we sing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Christian, you need to get some things right with God. The altar's open as we sing. Have thine own way, Lord.